0: Matthew chapter 5. I'll be in Matthew chapter 5 to begin with. I want to say got a good report right before church. We had two young people in junior church this morning trust Christ and get saved. And so praise the Lord. How wonderful that is. So thankful for willing workers. I was sitting in the choir and thinking this morning about how full the auditorium was, but I didn't realize that's not including all of our workers with the nursery, all of our workers with the two- and three-year-olds and the four- and the five-year-olds and all of Junior Church and all the workers downstairs. And so praise the Lord for what he's doing there. And uh, I also want to say before I get too far into it, that I'm going to have to split, like a banana split, and get to prison uh, when I get done. So I don't want to seem rude if I just leave after the preaching, but uh, I need to get to prison. So Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 17, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 17, Jesus said, think not that I am come to destroy the law, But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Father, we love you and we thank you for loving us. We ask this morning that we would, or this evening, that we would meditate on your word and that you would hide your word in our hearts tonight. Uh, We pray that we would seek your face and what you believe about the Bible. We pray for peace in Israel. We pray for all of our friends there. And uh, we ask that the enemy would be suppressed. And we thank you for the hope that you will come back one day. And hopefully very soon. In Jesus' name, amen. Preacher asked me to preach this evening and Wednesday night. And I'm thankful for that. Opportunity. I don't take it lightly, but when he asked me Wednesday night, I immediately knew what God wanted me to preach on, and it will be a very practical message, Lord willing, unless something changes. It will be a very practical message on the prayer life of Jesus. But as I was contemplating that and meditating on that, I began to think about the other fundamental of the faith. If you were to uh, ask any uh, seasoned Christian or any mature Christian, what are the two daily disciplines? If you could just pick two daily disciplines to grow your walk in the Lord, I believe the answer, pretty unilaterally, would be it would be uh, prayer and reading the Bible. Prayer and reading the Bible. And so Wednesday night, Lord willing, we'll look at the prayer life of Jesus, and it will be a practical message. But tonight. Lord willing, we'll look at what does Jesus believe about the Bible, and it will be more of a doctrinal message. So when we understand what Jesus believes about the Bible, there are two major things we need to get from that. First is that Jesus is our example. He is the example to the believer. That is what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said that For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. So when we look at what does Jesus believe about the Bible, we're looking at the greatest example that we could ever have and how we ought to live and what we ought to say, but also what we ought to believe. But it's not just a matter of Jesus being our example. It's a matter of Jesus being our Lord. He is called our Lord, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if the Lord Jesus Christ is truly the Lord of your life, if you are truly under his yoke, as he implored you to do and and to be in Matthew chapter 11, then we must consider what is it that the Lord Jesus believes about the Bible so that we could adopt the same attitude, the same mindset, and the same yieldedness to the authority of the Bible. And so I want to look at the doctrines that Jesus affirmed about the Bible. If you were in my uh, Sunday school class last year, we talked about many of these very things. Um, But for the sake of tonight, I want to only look at the fundamental doctrines of the Bible through the lens of Jesus. What did Jesus say about them? Because he is our Lord. So number one, I want to point out the fact that Jesus affirmed the inspiration of the scriptures. That word inspiration simply means God breathed. This is the word of God. This, is, this contains the words of God. Yes, the Bible has dual authorship. God chose to use man to write the Bible, but they are indeed the very words of God. Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verse 36, He said, For David himself said, By the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus affirmed that when David was writing the scriptures, David was under the influence, he was under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. God was in it. He said in Mark chapter 12, verse 26, "...as touching the dead," speaking of Moses, uh, "...that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob." So he's asking his followers, did you not read in the scriptures what Moses said? That word scripture refers to the body of writings that God inspired. And then he said what Moses wrote. So he is affirming the dual authorship of the Bible. He did the same thing in Mark chapter 7 verse 10 when he said, For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. The fact of the matter is Jesus affirms time and time and time again the inspiration of the Bible and the dual authorship of the Bible. There is two authors, a capital A author, God, and a lowercase a author, man. Now what do we learn from that? Why is it important that Jesus would affirm that doctrine? Because it proves the fact that God will take a shepherd God will take a fisherman. God will take a man like Moses with a speech impediment. God will take these men that are flawed, that are wretched, that are wicked, that are sinners, that are rebellious. And he'll use those men to write his holy words. Same today, he'll take men like me, a wretched sinner, Uh, a, a, a cowboy from northeast Missouri whose only skill is scooping cow poop and he can use me to let the gospel go forth. You see, God can take those people and can use them for his great work. So God used men to write down his word and he still uses people to reach people with the gospel. But on this issue of inspiration, God also affirms what we call the verbal inspiration of scripture. In other words, it's not just the general ideas. It's not just the intentions or what the words were trying to portray. No, in Mark chapter 5 or in Matthew chapter 5 which we just read, Jesus said not one jot nor one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. In the Hebrew language, that jot and that tittle is the equivalent of the crossing of the T and the dotting of an I. In other words, the very minute strokes of the pen, God is a God of detail. You cannot read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I was just talking to Brother Stoner about the dimensions of the temple and the rebuilding of the temple and how God goes into such great detail About those things, you cannot read the Bible and tell me that God does not pay attention to the details. And He pays attention to the details even when it comes to His words. It's not just the intentions that are inspired, it's not just the general ideas that are inspired. It is every stroke of every pen that God is in. Jesus also affirmed the plenary inspiration of Scripture. Now, that's a big, fancy word we don't hear every day. And all it means is every single word, plenary, plenary, every single word, the entire Bible is inspired of God. Yes, every jot and every tittle, but also the whole counsel of God is inspired. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Let me tell you, I do not believe that the Bible Contains the word of the words of God. I believe the Bible is the word of God. And there is a big, big difference. A big difference. So Jesus affirmed the inspiration of the scriptures. But Jesus also affirmed the inerrancy and the infallibility of scripture. Now that word inerrant is simply a word that means without any mixture of error. Nowhere in the book will you find a falsehood. Nowhere in the book will you find a contradiction. Nowhere in the book will you find any mixture of error whatsoever. And by the way, show me a book written over a span of over 2,000 years by dozens and dozens of men with thousands of prophecies that came to fruition and yet you can't find one contradiction in it. I think it must be a living book. I think it must be the word of God. But Jesus affirmed it. Now, I spend a lot of time on a public university campus. Thank God I've only got one more year left. If you were to go to most public university campuses and you were to walk around and you were to ask people, what are the things about the Bible that you just don't believe? You just cannot buy into. Well, most people don't know anything about the Bible. But I believe the top four things, the top four answers you would find would be the reality of a historical Adam and Eve, Noah and a worldwide flood, the reality of Sodom and Gomorrah, and then Jonah and the whale. Those four things are just too hard to swallow. Those four things are just too hard to believe. The fact that God began with two original people and that he literally created the earth in six days and that he made Eve from Adam's rib the fact that God destroyed the whole earth with a flood sparing eight people the fact that God would rain down fire and brimstone from heaven and wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah and then the fact that a man could live three days in the belly of a whale that's just too hard to swallow but here's what you need to know Jesus of affo- you see what I did there too hard to swallow Jesus, get this now, Jesus affirmed every single one of those Bible truths. The Lord Jesus Christ did. In Mark chapter 10, verse 6 through 8, he explained how God made them male and female. Talking about Adam and Eve, he affirmed it. He affirmed how God created male and female and how all of this human race began But we need to understand why is it they don't want to believe these things. What do we lose when we lose the reality of a historical Adam and Eve? Well, we lose the foundation of biblical marriage, right? God said he made the male and female, and for this reason shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto a wife. The foundation of biblical marriage, which they are trying to distort in every way in our society The simple foundation of biological reproduction, it was God that instituted man and woman to go and multiply and replenish the earth. That's a basic foundation we lose. The foundation, get this, of how sin entered into the world. If we can distort the story of Adam and Eve and that God literally made them and they literally lived in the paradise called Eden, well then we can distort the need for a savior If we can distort how sin entered into the world, then we can distort the need for a Savior. Number two, regarding Noah, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, As the days of Noah were, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the days that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So here's what he's saying. He is describing how his second coming will be. He's describing the society that he will come to when he comes back riding that white stallion. He's describing people that are living in their sin, that have no concept of the Word of God, no convictions over the Word of God. And just as it started to rain and they had no idea what was happening, so shall it be when the Son of Man enters into the, uh, into the realm of planet Earth through the clouds. And what do we lose when we lose Noah in the worldwide flood? Well, we lose one of the greatest types of Christ that there is. The salvation that God offers. Only one way to escape those waters. And that was through an ark that a man named Noah built. And God sealed that door shut just like he sealed my salvation the day that I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. We lose that wonderful picture of salvation. We lose an understanding of what the times will be like when Christ returns. And we lose that unexpected yet triumphal return of Christ and an understanding of what that will be like. We would read in Luke chapter 17 how Jesus would affirm Sodom and Gomorrah. He says likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they did, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Once again, what do we lose if we lose this historical understanding? We lose what it would be like when the Son of Man comes, how man will be living for themselves. They'll have no concept of anything spiritual. It'll all be going to and fro from the earth. It will all be doing business. It will all be just living for oneself uh, and things that Brother John preached a little bit about this morning. We lose that understanding. We lose the understanding that there are sins in this world that are so wicked, that are so vile, that God hates so very much that he is willing to destroy an entire society with fire and brimstone because they're so repulsive in the sight of God. And that makes our world angry. That makes our world furious to think that there could be an immoral lifestyle that we could live that God does not accept or approve of well we shouldn't accept or approve of it either Christian and then we understand we lose again what how Christ will come back he's not coming back as the sacrifice he came the first time as the sacrifice he's coming back as a king to make war just as fire and brimstone fell from heaven And we would read about that in Revelation chapter 19 when he comes as king of kings and lord of lords. And in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus affirms Jonah and how he was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. And he says, so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is affirming the greatest picture in the Old Testament of the most blessed hope we have, and that is that one day a man walked out of his own tomb. And they want to do away with that. They want to do away with that historical reality of Jonah and the whale. But Jesus said, this is the most perfect picture of what I'm going to do for you. And the new life that I'm going to bring you. And how that I'm going to die. And I'm going to be three days in the heart of the earth. But I am going to rise again. And I can tell you the tomb is still empty. Jesus affirms the inerrancy of the Bible time and time and time again. Time and time again. Jesus affirms the infallibility of the scripture. That word infallible means simply it is incapable of error. Not only is there no error in the Bible, but in the Bible, there's no room for error. It is impossible for the Bible to be wrong. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 35, He said, the Scripture cannot be broken. The Scripture cannot be broken. If there was one thing in all the Bible that was wrong." the entire book would be void. If 99.9% of it was completely true, completely reliable, completely right on the money, but one little thing that Zephaniah said was not true, you know what? The whole thing is void. And God knew that. God be true, and every man is the liar. And let me tell you, the Bible is like a long log chain that is connected And thanks be to God, there are no weak links. There are no weak links. There are no lies. There are no contradictions. It is complete. It is total. It is consistent. And it is truth. And Jesus affirmed it time and time again. Jesus affirms the doctrine of biblical illumination. Now that word illumination, we don't use that every day. That's simply meaning that light bulb moment. Have you ever had a light bulb moment when reading your Bible? Boy, isn't that wonderful when the Holy Spirit teaches you something out of his word. Jesus said that uh, in Luke chapter 24, on the road to Emmaus, he said, Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the what? The scriptures. Opened he their understanding, that they might understand The scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in the name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You see, the purpose of the Bible is to be our source of knowledge, our source of wisdom, and our source of truth. And Jesus is affirming that the Bible indeed is that source of understanding. Can I tell you, any understanding in the world that is outside of this book is not good understanding. Any so-called truth that is outside of this book is not truth. Any philosophies or ideologies or any teachings that are not aligned with the Bible are not teachings worth following. That's what Jesus affirmed. Time and time and time again, Jesus said, search the scriptures, search the scriptures, search the writings, search the blessed written word of God, for in them you find me. In them they testify of me. Jesus affirmed, this is my favorite one, Jesus affirmed the utility of scripture. Now, growing up, I always thought that word utility was talking about like, the electric bill, or heating and watering and things of that nature. But what I learned is that word utility simply means usefulness. Can it be used? The utilization of Scripture. And Jesus affirmed the fact that indeed we have a weapon in the Word of God. It is like a two-edged sword piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the bones and morrow and it is the discerner of the intents in the hearts of man. We have the Word of God. Jesus demonstrated this so beautifully in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 when he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And just like we are all tempted, so was the Lord Jesus Christ tempted. And all Satan came up to Jesus and he tempted him. Jesus was hungry and he said, Jesus, why don't you turn these rocks into and these rocks into bread so you can eat yourself. And Jesus said, what? He said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Uh, The enemy came and tempted Jesus and said, Jesus, why don't you throw yourself off of this mountain? And certainly the angels will come and they will rescue you. And Jesus said, what? It is is written thou shalt not tempt the lord thy god and, and and all sleuthful satan came and showed him all of the empires that could be seen and and he said why don't you why don't you just bow down to me jesus and i'll make you ruler over all of this and jesus said it is written thou shalt have no gods before the lord thy god and him alone shalt thou serve it is written He was our example as to what we ought to do when we are tempted. What we ought to do when we are pressured. What we ought to do when the enemy comes and tries to throw us off guard. Even when the enemy uses scripture. Even when the enemy twists scripture to his own demise. We have a two-edged sword. And can I tell you, we see that the enemy is working greatly today. The enemy is trying to tempt us greatly today. The enemy is trying to distort us greatly today. But thanks be to God, every temptation, we can reply, "It it is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. Thanks be to God for the Bible. Let me tell you, the institutions of this world will crumble one day. The philosophies of this world will fall one day. The ideologies of this world will fade away one day, but the Bible stands, and it always will stand. And so we understand that Jesus affirms the utility of Scripture, but Jesus also affirms the preservation of Scripture. He said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, But my words shall not pass away. Heaven and earth shall pass away. But my words shall not pass away. The Bible is completely and entirely indestructible. Can I ask you something? What good would it have been for God to inspire a book 2,000 years ago just for that book to not be available to us today? What good would that have been? Can I tell you, thank be to God that the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Thanks be to God that the words of the Lord are pure words, a silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, and thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. God said, forever, O Lord, is thy word settled in heaven. Thanks be to God for the inspired, inerrant, infallible uh, uh, word of God that still stands today. We're not stabbing at it. We don't have to improve upon it. Uh, We don't have to add to it. We don't have to figure out how to reword it. We don't have to go to the sands of Egypt and find a new manuscript to see if we can somehow add to the word of God. We've got it. We've got the book. Thanks be to God. Jesus affirms, most importantly, the authority of the Bible. Most importantly. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 24? He said, The Son of Man goeth, goeth to the cross, as it is written of him. You mean when Jesus set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem to go to an old rugged cross? His authority in doing that was the written word of God? Yeah. Because God promised that he would do that. You know what the Bible says in John chapter, uh, John chapter 19 when Jesus was on the cross? It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. You mean to tell me as our Lord had his hands and his nail and his feet pierced? as there was a crown of thorns upon his brow, as he was gasping for every breath on the cross, what was running through his mind was the fact that as he was suffering for the sins of the world, that he was fulfilling the scripture, that he was concerned with the authority of the Bible. Well, that's what the Bible says. And yet, who am I not to yield to the authority of the Bible? even when I don't like what it has to say. If the Lord Jesus Christ must yield to the written word of God, I dare say I must also yield to that authority. It is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. Every church vote, every Sunday school lesson, every family decision, every business decision, every tough conversation at work, you mean the Bibles, the authority, and all of those things? Yeah, it sure is. Jesus said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now here's what's interesting. The name of Jesus in Revelation 19, as he's coming back on that white stallion, the name of Jesus is Word of God. Word of God. The Bible says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Bible said there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's almost as if that unlike humans, God manifests himself through his word. And that every time he speaks, he enlarges himself. So that his word is literally an extension of himself. Have you ever thought about that? His word is literally an extension of himself so that when we cross the Word of God, we're not just crossing words on a white page. We are crossing God Himself. When we don't yield to the Word of God, we're not just not yielding to an ancient writing. We're not yielding to the authority of God Himself. It is God Himself. And so, what did God Himself say? He said... Ye must be born again. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He said, God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God said that. Christian, I hope that in studying the Bible, meditating on the Bible, and yielding to the Bible, we can all agree that we are drawing nigh to Christ when we do those things. Drawing nigh to him. And so simply, Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And when we learn of this blessed book, We're learning of our sinless Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ. And so the charge this evening is very simple, very, very simple. What are we doing to learn of him? And what are we doing to yield to him? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Simple message. Thank you for the interpreters. Thank you for the pianists. Tonight was a doctrinal message, I know it was, we will be a little more practical Wednesday night, but I believe in every Bible truth, there's things that we can apply to our lives. And I hope today that we can simply say, you know what, I need to learn more of the Bible. Not only that, I need to use my Bible more. No weapon left in the drawer is of any effect or left on the shelf is of any effect but it needs a partner reverently it needs a partner and number three why don't we yield to the authority and the power of that weapon if we don't we might get hurt you examine yourself and ask yourself and ask god to show you if you need to do those things better this evening
1: When I think of how he came so far from glory, came and dwelt among the lowly such as I, to suffer shame and such disgrace, On Mount Calvary takes my place. Then I ask myself one question Who am I? Who am I that a king was bleed and die for? Who am I that he? Pray not my will, thine for. The answer I may never know why he ever loved me so that to an old rugged cross he would go. For who am I? i'm reminded of his word i'll leave you never if you'll be true i give to you life forever i know there's nothing that i could have done To deserve God's only Son. To fight my battles until they're won. For who am I? Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? am i that he would pray not my will thine for the answer i may never know why he ever loved me so that to an old rugged cross he would go For who am I?